Are you glad to be here? Yes. Good. Let's give a big welcome also to those of you that are watching us online and also our True North family at SCI Chester in conjunction with God Behind Bars. All right, I got a question. How many of you have ever gone to the Estes Awards show? The Estes Awards show. Not the ESPYs, that's sports. This is the Estes Awards show. Never, nobody. Unbelievable. Well, there are, it's not surprising because you'd be surprised if you looked into it how many different kinds of award shows there are. And there's some crazy ones. Let me give you a couple. There is, this is legit, totally true. There is the Golden Collar Awards. Now, they say this is the Academy Awards for dogs. They have different categories of awards they give. They give best dog in a theatrical film. They also give best dog in a foreign film. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how that works. I mean, my, I think that a dog says bow wow. But I guess if you're in a French film and you're a dog, maybe you're bow wow or something like that. If you can do that as a dog, you win the best dog in a foreign film. Now, at the Golden Collar Awards, and again, this is legitimate. You can watch it. It's, 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 it's a show. You, they have the red carpet. Yeah, the red carpet. This is dogs dressed to the nines, or in this case, dressed to the canines. There uh, was a cavalier spaniel, wore a gown and a tiara, looking good on the red carpet. It's true. You think I'm not? It's just true. You go to the Golden Collar Awards. Lamb Chop, the poodle, wore a purple satin vest with, a, with pink celebrity shades. And then you had one year, the overall winner, Uggy, was seen in an elegant ruffler tuxedo. That's right. The Golden Collar Awards. Now, my favorite odd awards, and there's lots of odd awards shows. Favorite one, by definition, by the very description of the show, it's, it's called the Diagram Prize Awards. It is for books with the oddest titles. Some past winners. Living with Crazy Buttocks. Now, I don't know if this is like some guy named, first name Crazy, last name Buttocks, or if it's just straight up living with crazy buttocks. The next one, you have to think about this one for a little bit, The Joy of Chickens. This is a short book. <laughs> now, this one is more concerning. Oddest title, Diagram Prize Award, books with the oddest title. Cooking with Poo. I'm thinking this is of the Winnie type, I hope. Because if not, I, I'm not reading that book. This is my favorite one of all time. Uh, th this one just kills me. Okay, get ready for this. The title of a book. Ready? Here it is. Bomb-proof your horse. I don't know, I don't know why. It just cracks me up. I, I guess the picture of like what would that what that would look like, the bomb-proof your horse. We're not gonna talk about these award shows today. We're talking about the Estes Awards. The Estes Awards, the, the big Est, the high Est, the great Est, the overall best, the Estes Awards. You see, we fear our Ests. Whatever your Ests are, whoever your Ests are, that's who you fear. It's who you, it's who you will look up to. It's, it's the highest. It's therefore who we come to. It's therefore who we're drawn to. Now, this is different than afraid of. Afraid of is literally who we want to get away from. 
Adam and Eve experienced both of these things in the garden right away. Before the fall, before they sinned, the scripture seems to indicate that every day in the cool of the day, they would, they would walk with God in the garden. You see, they, they weren't twisted yet in their perception of God. God was the creator. They were the creation. He was the greatest. He was the highest. And it drew them to him. They wanted to walk with him. But then they sinned. The fall of man in the garden. And when they sin, what sin is, is it's just a twisting of what is true. It's taking a right perception and twisting it and inverting it. And when they do that, they don't see God anymore as their est. They see themselves as their own est. And it has one effect. It actually says in Genesis 3.8 that Adam and Eve hid from God. So that's what happens when you're afraid. You hide. But when you have fear, when you have an est that is the right est, you want to come to him. Romans chapter 8.15 says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery. You've not received a, a spirit of being afraid of, leading to fear again. You've not received that, it says, but you have received a spirit of adoption, a spirit of the fear of your est, who is your father. And it says, you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father, which literally means daddy. See, so you, daddy, when you fear the est in the right way, the right est, you want to come to him. You want to be drawn to him. All right, so we're going to look at three different things about fear this morning. What is fear all about? Fear, first of all, as I've been saying, is all about the ests. A couple of months ago, my wife and I got to go back to Uganda. I say go back to because we lived there for some years as missionaries, and we got to go back and do some ministry there. And then we went on to Ghana and did some ministry there. And we were in the cities as well as the villages. And, but every time you go to the cities in a, in a third world country, there's, sometimes there's things that are different. But for the most part, things are pretty much the same. And one of the things is there's actually lots of vehicles on roads, but it's mayhem, complete mayhem. There's, you know, no lines. There's no signs. You get to some kind of thing that's, I guess, supposed to be like an intersection. And there's like people, like vehicles, different kinds of things coming from like five different directions. And you always have the same question. Who has the right of way? And the answer is always the same answer. The biggest. (laughs) The biggest. That's who has the, the right of way. Now, with that biggest, you can either be afraid of that and want to get away from that huge, those huge trucks or you can fear it and want to be it so that you can have the right of way. When I was 13 years old, we moved from a pretty comfortable situation, pretty good lifestyle, to a very, very different kind of a situation. Uh, lower class lifestyle. I lived in a little bit of a sketchy kind of a, a place. And uh, there in that place was a kid named Mervin. Mervyn doesn't sound real scary, but Mervyn was scary. Mervyn had a motorcycle gang, six or seven of these guys, and uh, they were a little bit terrifying. They were like two, three years older than me. They were bigger than me. And for some reason, I don't know why, they, wanted, they decided that they wanted to terrorize me. They wanted to intimidate me. And I, and I, was, I was scared. I was, I was a little bit afraid until Jimmy came along. Now, Jimmy was an old family friend. He was actually in college, and he was really big. More importantly, he was the brother of Mervyn's girlfriend. 
So he came and he put the hammer down. After that, I wasn't afraid of Mervin anymore. But I was drawn to Jimmy. I wanted to stay close to him. He became my est. It's all relative. It's all relative. Who's bigger? What's bigger? Whatever you see as biggest is going to be your fear. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 and 31. One of the biggest fears we have as human beings, and all human beings have this. It's natural to some degree, is, is the fear of death, right? But it's, even that is relative. To be afraid of death is relative to something else. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 and 31. It says, do not fear those who kill the body. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, alternative, it's all relative, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So do not fear, you're more valuable than many sparrows. In other words, fear him who is the ultimate est who it goes back to and it doesn't go any further. Fear of God replaces fear of man when we see God as the biggest. If you have fears in your life where you're afraid of stuff, ask God to give you a revelation of his estness. Because when you see that est, it replaces the other fears. When I was... Uh, teenager I used to play a lot of pickup basketball and you know you'd, you'd go to the court and it was usually the same court and it was most of the time pretty much a lot of the same guys and then some other guys would come sometimes and there was always that guy who was the est maybe he was the tallest or he was the fastest or he was the bestest shootestest he was the est and the impact the effect was when they're you know picking teams everybody wanted to be on his team you know, everybody wanted to, after the pick, you know, be walking over and stand next to him. Until, until another est came along. Another est would come along, and he was taller, he was faster, he was a better shooter. And the next thing you know, that other guy wasn't so focused on. Now there was this new est, and you wanted to be near him. And that became... Your, your, new, your new draw. In 2 Kings, we see a story of Elisha's servant. Elisha had a servant who was terrified. He was terrified for understandable reasons. He goes out and he looks out at the city and there's this major army surrounding the city. And Elisha's servant is like, okay, we're done. He, he feels hopeless. Elisha prays to God and says, God, open his eyes. Open his eyes, let him see. So he opens his eyes and, and Elisha's servant looks out and there are these major angel armies surrounding the whole city, engulfing that army that he thought it was hopeless because they were there. 2 Kings 6, 1 says, do not be afraid for those who are with us. It's all relative. It's all relative. You might be afraid of something today. You might battle with different kinds of fears. It's not something that you're terrible with, that you're a terrible person for. A lot of these things are understandable, and you deal with them. But the Scripture says, do not be afraid. How? You have to understand it's relative. Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. 
Ask God to open your eyes. Ask God to give you a revelation in the area that you have, you're afraid in. And ask him to show you himself. And when he shows you himself and you see his estness, that other fear just fades away. Just fades away. We, our first mission field, we were missionaries for a number of years, and our first mission field was a country called Zaire. It's Democratic Republic of Congo now. It's the central part of Africa. We were very young. We only had two children at the time, and they were very young, two years old and not, you know, not even one year old. And I had learned the language, and, and, and I was going about the business of, con, of continuing with the ministry there and preaching and teaching. I did a lot of seminars, pastors and leaders, and um, things were moving along, and then this civil war started. The beginnings of a civil war, and it was very, very serious. I would leave my compound in the morning, and there'd be some kid out there, like 12, 13 years old, with a machine gun. Oh, yeah, he's going to really protect us. And then I would go, and I'd, I'd have to take these kind of, kind of secret ways to get to these different places, and there'd be these helicopter, helicopter gunships overhead just shooting down, and there'd be buses overturned and on fire, and legit, really, the scene was like that. I was a little bit concerned. <laughs> I was a little bit afraid. And even more so, I, I, I felt like I needed, to, I needed to hear from God because I would leave my, my wife and my two little children. I was like, God, am I, am I being unwise? Like, what should we do? One night, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was a, I was a sound sleeper. I never woke up. I woke up in the middle of the night, sat up in bed. And I'm, it was almost like a mist or... It was like I was in a cloud. It was just, it was so peaceful. I just sat there. I was just like, peace just ran over me. The only thing we really had in our bedroom was this bed kind of thing. And then we had this wicker, <laughs> wicker shelf. That's it. That's all we had. And I look over at the, this wicker shelf, and there's this, this very large person sitting on the wicker shelf. And then in between his legs, sitting on his lap, is this smaller guy. And I'm just looking at them. And somehow I, I knew they were angels. They didn't have wings. They did actually have a little kind of burlap bag vibe going on as far as their clothes. But I just, I just sat there. I just sat there up in bed. It's so peaceful. And I just stared at them. And they literally, they literally just sat there and stared at me. A couple of facial expressions, but didn't move much. Just stared at me. Nope, we didn't talk. Three, four minutes, we just stared at each other. And then God said... He said, I've got these two angels in your room to guard your room. But you have to understand, I've got hundreds more of these around your compound. You do not need to fear anymore. From that point on, I, I wasn't afraid anymore. And I felt like God spoke, to, spoke in that to say, you stay and keep doing your ministry. Because there was a new revelation of a bigger, a bigger Bigger than gunships, than, than helicopter gunships. Bigger, bigger than buses overturned. Bigger, in fact, the biggest. And it fade, the other fears faded away. All right, so fear is all about the ests. Another thing fear is all about that's really very similar, but a different angle to look at, is fear is all about the gospel. The good news, actually really the best news. Now, what is the gospel? Real quick summary definition of the gospel. It's, I can't, but he can. I, I, I am not able, but he is able. I cannot provide, but he can provide. Now, you might say, well, how's that good news? 
Well, look, if you really are can't, Mr. Can't, Mrs. Can't, and you can't, you can't, you, you, you cannot provide for yourself, you cannot forgive yourself, you cannot work enough to pay for your sins. If you really can't and you feel the hopelessness of that, then when someone else comes along and says, I got it, I'll take care of it, I'll pay for it, that's good news. That's good news. I can't pay for my wrongs. God pays for it with his best himself. I tend to gravitate to the worst. That's my sin nature. I, 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 I have that tendency in my sin nature to gravitate to the worst. But God gives me the best, his Holy Spirit, so I don't have to gravitate towards the worst. When I was a little, little boy, I, I used to think my dad, who was not a big man, I used to think he was humongous. I used to think he was the biggest man in the world. And I would go in the den, and he'd be reclining in his chair, and you know, watching TV or something. And I just thought he was the est of all ests. But so it didn't make me want to run away from him. It actually made me want to jump up in the recliner and cuddle up with him. That's what proper fear does. It comes down to this with the gospel. There's two sides. There's me, my fallen nature, or the world, the fallen world, or evil itself. There's that side. And there's God. And now this really comes down to one question. Who's biggest? Who's biggest? Uh, who is the Lord? And by definition, there can only be one est. There can only be one Lord. And it comes a decision for who is going to be that solution in my life. John chapter 3.30 says it this way. It says, I decrease, he increases. I'm not est. I'm not Lord. He is est. He is Lord. Now, what sin does is it takes truth and it inverts it, right? It totally makes it opposite. So it would do this to John 3.30, sin. It would say, I increase, he decreases. I'm my own est. I'm my own Lord. He's not est. He's not Lord. And so what happens when we do that is we start heading to the tower. We head to the tower. The tower, what tower? The Tower of Babel. Why did those folks in Genesis 11 build that tower. Why? Because they wanted to be the est. They wanted to be the high est. And they rejected God in that way. And it turns out they ended up being afraid of God because of that wrong way of seeing things. When we build ourselves as high est, what we do sometimes is we, we trust in ourselves or we make our own rules. When, when we build worldliness around us as the high est in our lives, we, we, we start getting wrong understandings and perceptions of things like money and sex and power and fame. But when we fear the est, the good news is that he is our est and we have hope. All right, so what's fear all about? Fear is all about the est. It's all about the gospel. And it's all about one more thing. It's all about worship. Worthship. Worthship. Who is the worthy est? Who's worth it? What's worth it? I think that's, I think we don't sometimes realize it, but I think that's a common question we ask all the time of ourselves in one way or another. What's worth it? Who's worth it? Well, what, what should I do? What should I be involved? What's worth it? What's going to have worth-ship? Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Your treasure is your est. That's your treasure. 
And when you have whatever est you have as your treasure, that's where your heart will be. That's where you'll be drawn to. What has the most worth? What is worth it to you? I want you to ask yourself that today. And there's a lot of good answers, and, 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 they're, and they're understandable answers, and they're not wrong in and of themselves. Even things like your children and your, your husband and your wife. But at the end of the day, Jesus calls us to a real radical thing. He says, if you're going to follow me, you have to not prefer your, your children. He says, you have to hate them. And he's not calling you to not love your children. He's just calling you to the proper est. When you make him the proper est, then guess what? Everything else is added unto you. You love your children. You love your husband. You love your wife. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth the surpassing worth, the worthiest, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. It's all relative. It's all relative. Even good things are but rubbish compared to the est. He says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When we live today for what we can have tomorrow, we extinguish the power of death that tries to haunt us with the fear of having no tomorrow. That's the power of the est. When we were in Zaire, missionaries there for a while, we worked with a, 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 an evangelist, a Zairean evangelist named Alexander Adini Abala. Now, Alexander was an incredible evangelist. He had a healing ministry. He was very famous. And he would go out to different places, set up crusade stuff, and thousands of people would show up. One time, he went out, and there was these villages all around. And, and in one of the villages, there was a, we'll just call it a religious institution. <laughs> it had, a, had a pharisaical priests. And they were not happy that Alexander Adini Abala was coming to their villages. So they started spreading word around to the people in the villages. Look, this man, when he comes, he says he heals people. If he does not heal people, and they didn't believe he would, we're going to stone him to death. So all the people came from the villages, thousands of people, and many of them brought rocks. And they sent out, these pharisaical priests sent out even four paralytics that they took care of in their institution in these old rickety wheelchairs, and they placed them right in front of the stage these four paralytics in these wheelchairs. And they even place rocks on their lap kind of symbolically to say, okay. Now that's a little pressure when you're speaking. You know, you never know, when you're speaking, you never know. You know sometimes you look out at their faces and you're like, is that guy mad at me or what? But if you see rocks, that's... Anyway, Alexander preached. He said, who wants to be healed? He went and started praying for people to be healed. And he went to the paralytics and he started praying over them. And as he's praying over them, this is a completely true story. I'm not exaggerating anything. He, as he's praying over them, four paralytics had been paralytics from the time they were little. Four paralytics jump up out of their wheelchairs and just start dancing around, jumping up and down. These pharisaical priests come running over. They're irate. They yell at these guys, these former paralytics, they yell at them and they go, they go, they say some of the stupidest words I've ever heard in my life. They say, get back in those chairs. 
And they say, if you don't get back in those chairs, we're not going to feed you anymore. And the paralytics said some of the most amazing words I ever heard in my life, former paralytics. They said, we don't need you to feed us anymore. We have someone who's bigger. We have someone who's bigger. In John chapter 9, we see a very similar story, actually. Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And the Pharisaical priests are not happy about it. They want this man who was born blind, who was healed, who now sees, they want him and his parents to renounce Jesus. Now, they, they don't go up and say, get back in those chairs, but they say something is equally as, as dumb. They, they come up to him and they go, give glory to God. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a funny line in the scripture in a sense, because what they're saying is, give glory to God, renounce him, because he healed, he, he, he healed you and made you see instead of being blind. So this blind man is sitting there and, and his parents are sitting now. His parents were a little bit more afraid. The scripture says they were afraid of the Pharisees because they controlled the synagogue. And so they would not, they, they, they renounced Jesus and they would not worship Jesus and they kind of came on the Pharisee side. But the man that was born blind, he sat there and he said, what? What am I going to do? That's literally what he said. He said, well, you guys, are you guys crazy? What, what am I supposed to do? This man that you see before you, he, he made me who was blind from birth. He made me to see. What do you want me to do? You want me to renounce him? I cannot renounce him. He is the greatest. And he worshiped Jesus. That's the difference. Do you see, how do you see the S? All right, let's wind this down. I'm going to wind it down with five questions. Don't be afraid. They're quick answers, relatively. Some of my students in the college are not believing me right now because of, sometimes I go on and on. But five questions, I'm going to answer them fairly quickly. Question number one, what is, what is fear all about? Okay, it's all about the S's. How do you see the S's? How do you see S's in your life? It's all about how you see the gospel. How do you see that thing that I can't, he can? It's all about how you see worship. All right, second question. How do you know who you fear? Well, you fear whoever or whatever you come to. Whoever or whatever you're drawn to. That's who you fear. That's why you, you have, you know, celebrities and so forth and you're, you fear them, you, you, all of them. You, you think they're the est, and you're drawn to them. Well, how much more are we going to be drawn to God? That's how you know who you fear. He's Esther, Estier. He's not Esther. He's Estier than even your favorite celebrity. You fear whoever you give the award to at your own Estes Award Show. That's who you fear. If you give the award to Jesus, that means you fear Jesus and you come to him. If you give the award to yourself or to others, then that means you're afraid of Jesus and you try to get away from him. Third question, how do you distinguish between the fear of the Lord and the fear of man? In Proverbs, there's actually three verses that literally say, the fear of the Lord is... Proverbs chapter one, verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now we know from John 17, three, that knowledge is eternal life. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you know God, that you have this, this knowledge. So the fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge is eternal living. The fear of man is gonna be the opposite of that. The fear of man isn't the beginning of knowledge. The fear of man is the beginning of hiding. It's eternal death. 
Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's eternal living in this life. The fear of man is the opposite of that. It's not the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of foolishness. It's eternal death in this life. And then Proverbs 8.13 says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It's eternal living that rejects this life. Jesus said if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. But if you hold on to your life, you're going you're, 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 you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna lose that, that life, your life. If you want to save it, you got to let go of it. Eternal living that rejects this life. The fear of man is the opposite of that. It's not hating evil, it's loving evil. It's eternal death that clings to this life. Fourth question, how can I develop more holy fear in me? First, give more Estes to Jesus. Think about it in your life every day. Try to remind yourself to consider this. Okay, how do I do this? How do I see Jesus as higher? How do I, what do I do? How do I think? What's my perspective that would put Jesus as my est? Look at it that way. Lift him up. For example, the fear of God is to regard him as holy est. What's holy? Holy means to be separated. It means that God is not common. He's different. He is the different est. The more you look at him that way, the more you fear him. Isaiah 8.13 says, It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear. Second, how do you develop more holy fear in your life? Live out more gospel. Think about it. Consider it. Keep it on the front of your mind. How do I live out my life today? What do I do? How do I think that understands me as the unableist and him as the ableist? You know what is, I think, a common thing in, in this particular issue for all of us? We all deal with this. Fear of failure. Fear of failure. We all deal with that sometime to some degree. Fear of failure, if you really think about it, what is it? It's being afraid of what others think. That's what it is. Fear of failure fades away when you see what he thinks. How he thinks of me trumps how I think of me or how others think of me. It's an identity issue. How do you see yourself? Don't see yourself through you or through someone else. Don't let that be your fear of failure. Let, let God see you and let you see God seeing you. Now, sometimes you fail. It's important to look back. I understand that. You have to look back to, to turn, to repent. And sometimes you have to look back to learn from your failures. So look back, but don't make it your est. You may, you may drown in regret. No matter how bad your past is, Jesus sees your failure through his victory. That's the way he looks at it. God sees you through Jesus' glasses. Now that's good news. You fail, God succeeds. That's gospel. This doesn't make light of your failure. That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't make light of your failure. It just says that there's something or someone bigger than that. Someone who's the biggest. When you stare at your failure, you're paralyzed. When you stare at Jesus' success, you're saved from that failure. So fear the est. Fear the est. Last one, third thing, make more holy fear in your life. Engage in worship. 
Put that before you. Put it before you. Understand, consider it. How do I live today in more worship? How do I see that the world is relatively worthless? What's worth it? What's worth it at the end of the day? How do I see that the world is relatively worthless? He is worthiest. What do you live for? Do you live for money? Do you live for sex? Do you live for fame? Do you live for power? None of those things in and of themselves in the right format are necessarily bad or wrong. But are those things more worth it relative to Jesus? If you only have Jesus in one of those, which one stays if you have to only keep one? What will last? What's worth it? 1 Corinthians 3 says, whatever you build on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, that will remain. That'll be worth it. But whatever is not built on that, it says it's going to all burn. It's not worth it. Final question today. Where does this fear take us? Well, fear is about the ests. It's about the gospel. It's about worship. Where does that take us? It takes us to healing. It takes us to healing. Now, next week, Pastor Jesse's going to start a new series called The Church That Heals. What is the church that heals? The church that heals is the church that points people to Jesus, points people to the gospel, points people to worship, and points to those things as the ests in your life. It, you could say it this way in my metaphor that I've tried to use. It, it, it airs the Estes Award show constantly. That's what the church that heals does. It even shows reruns. John chapter 12, verse 32 says this. If I am lifted up from the earth, if, if I am seen as the Est, it says, then I will draw all men to myself. That's the church that heals. The church, when the church that heals does those things, and guess what happens? People are healed. It, it, Jesus would be saying, I, I draw them because I'm lifted up as the est. They come. Well, they come, and guess what? They're healed. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5, really what she did, it wasn't even so much touching the cloak. What it was was she came. She came to Jesus. She trusted him. She looked to him. He was her est, and she was healed. So the church that heals points people to the fear of God. Not afraid of God, but the fear of God. So then they come to God, and when they come to God, they're healed. Now, this morning, some of you may be here, and you're listening to the message, and you're, you're understanding that you know, maybe you've never made a decision, a, a full decision, a definitive full decision where you've said, no turning back, no turning back. I, I'm making a decision to make Jesus my est, to make him my Lord. There's no one else. And maybe you're sitting here and you realize that having not done that yet, you still sit in the broken relationship. You, you, still, you don't walk with God in the garden. You, you hide from him. Jesus is here today and he's here all the time to say that he wants to reconcile you. He wants to pull you back into the garden and walk with him. He wants to save you. He wants to heal you. Spiritual healing, being forgiven. God does what you cannot do. He pays for your reconciliation. You can't pay for it. And sometimes we, we fear ourselves in the sense that we're trying to do our good works and that's what we think is our est. 
is our own good works and we think maybe that will be the solution. But all that happens with that is you go away from God. You don't come to him. When you fear God, and maybe you're here this morning and, and some stern in you. You know, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw people to me. Maybe there's something stirring in your heart that is, you hardly can even explain it. It's, it's, a, it's a drawing. That's the Holy Spirit. And he's drawing you to something good. He's drawing you to gospel. He's drawing you to provision. He's drawing you to solution. Maybe you've been afraid to even try it because what if it fails? Look, don't look at it that way. What if it fails? That's coming from a fear of man, a fear of yourself, a fear of what, what you might think or others might think. There is no failure in Jesus Christ. There is no failure in Jesus Christ. He cannot fail by definition. He cannot fail. He is almighty God. And he's sitting here today and he's saying, I want you. I want you. I want you to come to me and I myself want you. And he gives you the opportunity and we want to give you the opportunity to accept the cross as your est, your most provision that takes care of really everything. It's not going to make your life perfect. You're not going to, you, you get saved today. You make a decision today. It's not going to be like you go tomorrow and everything is hunky-dory because we're not in heaven yet. We're still living in this world. But I tell you what, it'll be totally different. It'll be totally different. The fear of your own inability will go away. And there will be a fear of the est that makes that afraid of be gone. It says in the scripture that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, Jesus is your est, that, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is confess with your mouth, and it's very important to, to speak this to God. But it's not simply the actual audible words that save you. It's what's going on in your heart, where you say to God, I do, I do. I agree with it. I agree with your way. I believe in it. I trust in it. And so I give you my life. If you want to do that today for the first time, I want to lead you in a prayer. And you could just, I'll pray in short phrases and you can just consider those prayers, the words, and then pray after me. To, and, and you're speaking to God. Pray it to him. If you want to do that today, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Everyone bow your head. And those of you that want to, you can just repeat after me. Almighty God, I want to make you my Lord. And I want to receive you as my Savior. I trust in you alone. And I believe in you. And so I give you my life. I thank you for that. And I want to walk with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you today. God bless you.